Welcome to this new episode of our Eurochap series. Today we're going to look at the difficult issue of sanctions, EU sanctions against third countries. In order to do that, I have invited two top experts, one a practitioner and the other one from the academic world. The practitioner is David O'Sullivan, who has had a stellar career as a senior official of the EU, including as a secretary general of the commission. He retired some time ago, but then the president of the commission, Mrs. von der Leyen, took him back to the commission to fulfill a very important role as a special envoy for the implementation of sanctions. Clara Portela is an academic. She is a world-known expert in sanctions and EU foreign policy. Uh, she teaches at the uh, School of Law of Valencia University. Welcome, Clara. Welcome, David. Uh, my intention today is to talk particularly about implementation and effectiveness, but I think it would be useful if you could start by telling us why you think an EU sanctions policy is important and how, in your view, it has evolved over time. David, if you could start. Well, I mean, a sanctions policy is important because it is uh, an instrument of uh, foreign policy, uh, an instrument of, of economic policy, uh, which can send important signals. Uh, sometimes it is intended to fire a warning shot across uh, the bows of, of a regime where you're not comfortable with how they're, they're dealing with certain issues, whether that's human rights or, or other issues. Uh, in the case of Iran, it is designed to coerce, to, to impose a high cost for a, a, a policy choice, such as the uh, pursuit of nuclear weapons. In the case of Iran, there were international sanctions, which did actually bring Iran to the table. And on that basis, we actually negotiated on the basis of those sanctions what I think was at the time a very good deal, the, the, the JCPOA, which would have brought an end to Iran's military nuclear policy. Unfortunately, President Trump pulled the plug and it, it, all, it all ended rather badly. But I think it is a good illustration of how sanctions can be an effective instrument of policy. Of course, they don't solve all problems. They, they, they come with, with issues and, and challenges. Uh, and I think it is a policy which has to be used somewhat sparingly. Uh, uh, but I think it can be a very important tool. Thank you, David. We'll come to the challenges in a minute. But Clara. Uh, thank you, Tim. In, well, sanctions... It have been for a very long time one of the most frequently used instruments in the framework of the CFSP, but uh, surprisingly there was very little media attention devoted to the use of these instruments and their effects, and there was also virtually no research being conducted on the European continent on what sanctions are as instruments of foreign policy and particularly on how the EU was using them, because actually the EU uses sanctions quite differently from let's say, the United States or the United Nations. So this is basically what intrigued me. Okay. And the sanctions we're using, I mean, are they always uh, covered by the UN Security Council or not? No. Uh, actually, we have, so to say, three different types. Uh, sometimes the EU uh, implements sanctions that are um, adopted by the UN Security Council, so it merely uh, implements a UN Security Council mandate. This is done via the uh, well, via EU legislation rather than by a national legislation. Uh, sometimes the EU imposes sanctions autonomously in the absence of a UN Security Council mandate, and it is often overlooked that sometimes when the EU in implements sanctions on the basis of a UN Security Council mandate, it actually goes beyond the uh, mandate 
and implements um, also additional measures so that you have a combination between UN-mandated sanctions and uh, autonomous measures. So this would be um, perhaps mixed uh, sanctions regimes. Thank you very much. Uh, this brings us to my second question. The We have, of course, reached a new stage in sanctions with Russia, first in 2014 and after the uh, aggression of Russia against Ukraine in, in 22. Uh, and would you agree that we have entered into a new era? I mean, I personally sometimes consider some of our sanctions, not only Iran, but others, as a bit the not so much an instrument of a policy, but rather the to cover the absence of a policy. But I think clearly this is not the case in terms of Russia this time. What no, we've, we've never had sanctions uh, like this before. We, we, the, the, the breadth and the depth of the sanctions imposed, not just by the EU, but by the sanctioning coalition of the G7+. Plus. Uh, I mean, it covers 60% of our previous imports from Russia and 55% of our exports. We have still exempted uh, certain products, uh, medical products, uh, agricultural products, uh, even oil to a certain extent, because we wanted to allow it to keep flowing to the global south. But from from our perspective, we've never had uh, sanctions of this of this quantum. This is uh, it's a new development, and, and it's really meant to also prevent the Russians from having the means to run the war, isn't it? I mean, it's something very special in this world. Well, I, I mean. The, the, the objective is threefold. Firstly, to deprive Russia of the technology needed for sophisticated weaponry, so to give Ukraine a certain technological advantage on the battlefield. Secondly, to deprive the Russian government of the revenue needed to continue to finance the war. And thirdly, to impose more generally a high economic cost on the Russian military and industrial complex uh, in return for the unprovoked aggression and the full-scale invasion of, of 22. Thank you. Clara, what's your take on this? Well, I would highlight three novelties or three developments that are particularly dramatic. Uh, one of them is that we have uh, imposed sanctions for a very long time, but we never emphasized economic sanctions, economic and financial sanctions as much as we have done in this particular case, uh, especially on a target that had not been subject to UN Security Council sanctions before. Because actually, if we look at the sanctions we imposed on Iran, they were also quite far-reaching, but there had been a UN Security Council de decision to impose sanctions before. So this is, let's say, the first time that we go uh, that far uh, when we go it alone. And then a second aspect that is also quite uh, remarkable is that um, from a systemic or, a, or from a global um, point of view, uh, sanctions used to be uh, imposed mostly by um, global North countries against... Um, uh, countries in the global south, and uh, now with the uh, coalition that basic, well, or the ad hoc coalition that we are forming uh, with uh, Canada, the US, and the UK, uh, we are actually uh, participating in the use of sanctions uh, as an instrument among um, great powers. So we we are basically doing something that is a, of a completely different quality. But then moving back to the EU level, we have never paid so much attention to implementation. So implementation has always been there, but nobody was scrutinizing very closely how it was working. And I mean, we now have a massive emphasis on improving and homogenizing implementation. We will come to that in a second. And that's why I'm so pleased to have David here. But before that, uh, we have, I think, adopted together unanimously 11 sanctions packages. There might be a 12th, a 12th coming pretty soon, David, isn't it? 
you think there will be agreement on this and what's the what's coming more uh, and what can we do more uh, after 11 or 12 sanctions packages is there still scope to go further I, I think there will be a process of continuous refinement, closing gaps, uh, identifying uh, weaknesses and flaws. There are some additional areas. The area of services is not uh, quite as aligned across the coalition as it could be. <clears throat> so there could be something more there. There are a few other areas which uh, uh, people talk about, but which it would be difficult, I think, to get agreement. The nuclear sector is one. Um, but I, I, I really put the emphasis, as, as Clara has, on the fact that these are extremely wide-ranging and the real challenge is to make sure they work and they have the impact. Do you agree with this? Yeah, certainly, certainly. Okay, then I would uh, come back to David immediately uh, because uh, we we mentioned the question of implementation. You are the new envoy. We have It's a new job which was created because, as already Clara implied, this is something new in the term that we, in the sense that we really uh, want those implemented. Uh, how do you go about this job? I mean, who do you target? Is it Do you look at people inside the EU or also or mainly outside the EU? And what is your feeling after a bit? You have been in this job for... Nine months. Nine months now. What is your feeling? Well, my main role is dealing with third countries. So it's the external facing side. But of course, there are two sides of the same coin. And I always say whenever I meet the member states... Uh, anti-circumvention starts at home. Uh, if there's European products finding their way to Russia, they are European products. So somebody made them and someone sold them to someone. Now, they may not have known that that person was then going to sell them on to Russia, but there's a huge responsibility on the member states and on our companies uh, to exercise great due diligence in, in, in following up on these sanctions. So that's, that's the domestic side, which is hugely important. <clears throat> the nature of these sanctions creates a huge challenge for our member state administrations because they were traditionally seen, as Clara hinted at, as a, an instrument of foreign policy and implementing them on the ground in you know, Luxembourg or Ireland or, or, or Italy was not seen as such a big thing. Now it is, <clears throat> and many member states are rethinking their legislation, their administrative organization, traditionally managed by foreign ministries, but actually you need to look at the customs, the, the, the investigative authorities, the police, the border police, the ministries of industry, the people who grant licenses for export control and so forth. <clears throat> so there's a massive coordination role there. In terms of third countries, we start out with a very simple matrix. The stuff we used to export to Russia is now going in largest quantities to other countries and from there to Russia. So that gave us a first list of potential uh, platforms of circumvention. And that threw up the, the countries I've been visiting. So Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Armenia, Georgia, Turkey, Serbia, uh, the UAE. Um, uh, and these were the countries where which we began the initial dialogue of saying, okay, you don't want to implement our sanctions. You're not aligning with our sanctions, but you don't want to be a platform for circumvention. And how can we address that? Uh, Clary, you already mentioned the importance of implementation. The, the creation of, of David's job, has it made a difference in, in your view? I mean, you follow this very closely. What is your feeling? Do we manage this or do we have trouble getting third countries from uh, exporting things which they shouldn't export to Russia? Well, actually, the instruments at our disposal in order to persuade them are quite limited because uh, under uh, public international law, they are not obliged to align with our sanctions. But at the same time, even uh, before... The, um, the establishment of sanctions against Russia, 
you already had a number of countries, particularly those who are uh, big hubs for trade, yes. that had um, realized that it wasn't good for their reputation to be seen as hubs for circumvention. And, and uh, I think that largely part of the of the reason why Switzerland, for example, has been aligning uh, with uh, with our sanctions is also because it just didn't want to have this reputation. This um, it didn't want to be known as the place where everybody who wants to <laughs> conduct trade that is uh, that is not uh, legal in the EU would go uh, to Switzerland. So I mean, probably probably this is. Uh, this is our greatest asset uh, in terms of trying to persuade those countries. But uh, of course, there are, uh, it's very early to tell. I mean, we can't we can't um, mm. we can't make an, an assessment of of an activity that has been going on for such a short time frame. And I mean, we we don't have a lot of public information. I think that also the reason why um, these uh, these uh, position uh, has uh, caused so much uh, interest. It's precisely because we are more used, we are more accustomed to the figure of special envoy of the high representative, which is a, a legally different figure. But this is the first time that a position of this kind has been put in place. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think my position is, is, is the key thing. I mean, I, I would disagree slightly, Clara. I think we can tell, uh, you know, we, we, I must say, you know, I think the, the, the commission and the EAS have done a fantastic job in putting all this stuff together, putting these sanctions in place. It's been a fantastic, an amazing achievement at, at unanimity, right? And, and you, better than any of us, Jim, know how that, how that works and how challenging it is. Um, but equally at the analytical level, I mean, we now have analytical tools, uh, the ability to monitor the trade. So we know what's going on and we know it more or less on a monthly basis. So when I go to countries, I'm able to say, well, you know, last three, the first uh, the first 12 months of last year, you exported this amount. Now you're exporting that amount. Uh, if they promise us to do something about it, I can go back a few months later and say, yes, you've done it or no, you haven't. So I think we do have the ability uh, to, to monitor. The, the challenge, as I've said on many occasions, is, of course, there'll always be circumvention. We are not going to extinguish circumvention. There is money to be made. People will find ways, like water finds its level. The, 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 the trick is to make it harder, slower, and more expensive continuously. So it's a, it's a progressive process of shutting off uh, lines of circumvention, making it harder, takes longer, gets more expensive. Every time you put more middle people in, somebody's taking a percentage and the cost goes up. And we see strong evidence that that's exactly what's happening. Can I just ask a question about a country which is a, a, a foreign country, but a candidate? to the EU or Serbia? Because sometimes, I don't know about this, but I sometimes read things about Serbia. I mean, what is your assessment? Have you have you been to Serbia? Been to Serbia? <clears throat> well, I mean, obviously, we have two candidate countries that have not aligned, Turkey and, and Serbia. And this is not satisfactory. I mean, uh, I don't spend too much of my time trying to persuade them of the fact that they're wrong, but I do constantly remind them, and I think we have to do so because they have taken on commitments as candidate countries. Having said that, in the case of Serbia, when I first went there, and in particular, we emphasize on the re-export of any products which can have a battlefield implication. So we've identified a subset of sanctioned products which would have a normally quite an innocent civilian use. So they're integrated circuits, uh, microchips, uh, optical readers, flash memory cards, things which in normal circumstances would, you would not think of as dual-use goods, but which we know from the Ukrainians are found in Russian missiles, Russian drones, Russian artillery shells. 
and we're, we've been putting all our effort into blocking the re-export of these goods. And I must say, Serbia, from the very first moment, said they would block the re-export of these goods and have done so. Clara, do you want to add something to this? A few views on Serbia? Well, not not specifically uh, on Serbia, but I think that it is probably uh, necessary to highlight that the creation of this post is something that also gives a, a very important message vis-a-vis -vis third countries. Yes. So as far as in the national agencies that are involved in implementation and enforcement are concerned, they have already noticed that um, uh, there is much more emphasis in Brussels and that uh, they have to... Well, they have to uh, to uh, to count on more scrutiny on on how they are organizing implementation and enforcement efforts efforts. But uh, as far as the as the message to uh, the the outside world is concerned, uh, this gives a, a clear signal that the EU is much more interested in implementation and enforcement, and that uh, if things uh, are if things are not going the right way, if uh, countries are uh, contributing to circumvention. Uh, there is going to be a dialogue about it, and that this is not going to it's not going to be well received here. So um, I think that the mere existence or in the activity of this of this post also has a communicative um, um, value that uh, also sends a strong signal to our allies in uh, Ottawa, in uh, Washington, in London about the fact that uh, we are taking uh, we we are taking implementation far more seriously than in the past. Okay, well, vindication of your post, David. I mean, uh, it's very nice to hear this. Now, let me move to something else, because implementation is one thing, and without implementation, nothing happens. But even with implementation, you can sometimes ask the question, what happens? How effective are our sanctions? I say this because now I start reading that the Russian economy is doing well, uh, Putin is higher than ever. So what effect do you think they have on Russia? Well, I mean, I, I indicated to you the three areas we're trying to address, uh, the technology for military purposes, revenue, and the, the general uh, effectiveness of the military-industrial complex. I think across all three areas, we can show uh, considerable success. Uh, the Russians are scrambling to get hold of West, the Western technology that they once had access to for their military weapons. So they're going to North Korea, they're going to Iran. Uh, they are they are they are struggling uh, to to get that, and we can see that uh, impact. In terms of the revenue, uh, we estimate that Russia has about 400 billion euros less to play with than they would have had if we didn't have sanctions. Now that's not small change. Um, and I think in terms of the overall impact, there is sign that their economy is struggling. Inflation is high. Uh, uh, the industrial productivity is down. There, of course. The growth numbers, I mean, that varies. Uh, the, 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 there, there is still more growth than perhaps people might have expected, but it's very important to understand <clears throat> it's, it's steroid growth. It's, it's putting Russia on a war economy. It's cannibalizing the economy to take stuff from the productive sectors like social welfare, education, research, uh, and putting it into the military. 30% of public expenditure is now going to the military. Nearly 6 to 7% of GDP is going to the military. So you can sustain this for a limited period of time. Uh, and I like to say it's, it's perhaps more of a slow puncture than the blowout that we might have wished for. But the, tire is, the air is escaping from the tire. And sooner or later, the vehicle is going to become uh, impossible to drive. The, the, the difficulty, to be very honest, is there's a war on. People are dying. And it's not happening. Maybe the impact is not as fast as we might have wished. And we have to acknowledge that. 
On the other hand, you have to look at the counterfactual. Can you imagine that we hadn't put sanctions in place and how we would face the Ukrainians and others uh, who, who are dying daily? So I, I think the sanctions are having a considerable impact. I think they will have a major impact on Russian economy over the next year or two. And I think serious damage is being done. It will be hard to make up. But it is true that in the short term, they are still able to uh, run the war by putting the economy on a war footing. Yeah. No, that's true. So, so you make a distinction between the immediate effect and the medium-term effect. Uh, 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 Clara, they're, they're, at the same time, when you impose sanctions, if the sanctions are serious, and I think this time they are serious, you, of course, also impose a burden on your own economy, potentially. I mean, look at energy, for instance, where we had to reduce our energy from uh, dependence from 40% to 16% in, in, in a year or two years, which is enormous. But of course, it comes at a price, doesn't it? I mean, the imports of, of liquefied natural gas from the United States cost far more than the imports. So what is your take on this? Has the EU and so are the sanctions or both of you, the sanctions sustainable in view of the effect it can have on the EU? Is the EU ready to take that hit? Well, it has certainly shown that it is ready. And uh, actually, for the time being, uh, the, the, well, the popular support for maintaining sanctions is uh, rather high. And I mean, I think that this, uh, this has very much to do with the fact that um, we, are, well, we have faced a, a major breach of international law. And I mean, even those countries like my own country of origin, uh, Spain, which is quite far away from, from the border uh, to Russia, um, I mean, they, uh, there has been a recognition of the of the severity of the uh, of the breach. So, um, I mean, of course, uh, there is a price to pay, and this also hurts. Uh, but I think that precisely the fact that the the sender uh, countries or the that the EU has been ready to accept these uh, these own damage uh, shows the seriousness of the of the reaction. That's a good point. Yeah. Thank you very much. You would agree, I suppose, with this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think on the energy side, to be honest, Jim, uh, it's a blessing in disguise. I mean, I think our dependence on Russian energy, and we can debate, you and I were around when people were having that debate about, was it too much? I actually think it was the right thing to do at the time. It made sense to try and bind Russia into a, a, an economic model across Europe and to create some mutual interdependence. It's absolutely clear now that we were probably wrong, uh, certainly post-2014, uh, and we should have already started weaning ourselves off that dependence. Now it's happened. We've, we've made the break. It's irreversible, which is massive damage for Russia. They have lost their most profitable customer ever, forever. I don't think any of us will ever go back to being dependent on hydrocarbon imports from Russia. And we've managed to change consumer behavior. We've managed to accelerate the, the green transition and the move to renewables. And we've been able to fill the stopgap with imports from, from other countries, in, including the US. Yes, energy prices went up, but energy prices went up generally. Huh? Yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure- Already we before. We, exactly. Uh, we, we, so uh, in any event, as a continent, we're condemned always to import energy, right? We, we, we've never been self-sufficient. And it's just a question of now having a different energy mix than we had before. And that you know, it was had to be done in, in a crisis, which was unfortunate, but I actually think we managed it quite well. Uh, thanks. I, I have one other uh, more difficult question because, I mean, we are here to, to really tease out all the, the elements. And this is that, isn't it the case that in some areas where we impose sanctions, you could have perverse effects? I, I give one example. Uh, I was always wondering about this 
shutting the Russians out of SWIFT, which is the mechanism for financial transactions. Uh, because what seems to be happening now is that the Russians, but also the Chinese and people in the global south, seem to be looking for alternative ways. In other words, to wean themselves off a financial system which is run by the West, to put it simply. What do you think about that, Clara? And then, Well, uh, this is certainly a perverse effect that has already been highlighted and identified. Actually, it had been foreseen that uh, even even after the they ran sanctions, that yeah. um, the um, well that not that not Western countries would start being serious about developing an alternative system that would reduce their dependence on the West. So actually, um, I mean, from what we are seeing, this is actually happening. And um, after the the war finishes and the uh, sanctions are lifted, uh, I think that we are going to find that not. Um, Everything that has been imposed initially as a sanction might go. Uh, some uh, measures, particularly those um, prohibiting the supply of um, particularly sensitive advanced uh, technology, they will remain in place as export controls. So, I mean, I think that in, in we, while we are going to be facing a decoupling that uh, quite differs from the um, uh, enthusiastic uh, Inter, uh, drive towards interdependence that we yeah. had before. It's, I mean, independently now of the Russian factor, this what is a trend in globalization also. I mean, there is a certain weaponization of interdependence. We have this kind of thing, which was happening anyway, to some extent, I would say. Well, let's say that this has been an accelerator or that this is actually bringing it home to everybody that it's happening because, um, I mean, we could see the trend before, but then uh, all of a sudden it's becoming clear that this is this is actually the uh, the the way things are going but i mean uh, sanctions always have perverse effects yeah. so it's not that yeah. this is specific to this crisis and i mean these uh, effects are often difficult to manage this is what makes the um the, uh, this is what what makes the management of the tool so labor intensive uh, david on on this still talking about swift i mean with the benefit of hindsight and in view of the fact that this could have far reaching uh, results. Uh, would you think it was a mistake to do it or not? No, I think it was absolutely necessary. Um, I think we had to use all means at our disposal. That's why we also immobilized the Russian central bank assets, which were uh, outside Russia. Uh, I think these two measures combined actually probably sent the biggest shock through the Russian system. Um, uh, I think there is a risk that alternative systems will be developed. What surprises me, frankly, is that they've had such difficulty doing that. Uh, Russia tried the Mir system. It has not taken off. The Chinese are trying. It probably is a medium-term trend anyway that there will be a more assertive financial circuit developed by the the, the BRICS. I could un they've tried many times. They've got the BRICS bank. So I'm I mean that's a medium-term trend. <clears throat> but we had to use all our instruments and the immediate impact of that. Uh, for, for the Russian economy and for many of the wealthiest Russians was, was very considerable. And it's a very important tool still at the moment of leverage on Russia. May I just pick up one point about Clara? Uh, these sanctions are going to be with us for five to 10 years. We should not be under any illusion that even if there were a cessation of the hostilities, which doesn't look imminent, but let's imagine that there might be, and we might wish for it in certain circumstances, in the right circumstances, there's going to be so many issues to be resolved with Russia war crimes, accountability, the cost of rebuilding Ukraine. And let's not forget that Russia is deliberately destroying the infrastructure of the country, not to mention killing the people. Those issues are going to take a long time to resolve. 
and sanctions relief may be part of that negotiation, but it's going to take a long time. And uh, we have to get used to the idea that uh, these sanctions are going to be around for quite some time, in my view. Here is a very clear message. We, we're getting to the end, so I would just ask you in two or three sentences, you know, your main, the message you want to send to our viewers and listeners after this discussion. I mean, we could have gone on for a long time because I thought it was uh, uh, getting extremely interesting. Clara, what is your final take on this? Thank you very much. So I think that uh, perhaps a, a couple of lessons um, from this experience uh, are bringing it home to, to everyone in how sanctions work or what um, we are getting into when we uh, participate in such a, a large uh, sanctions operation. Uh, first of all, when we talk about the effects on Russia and on the Russian economy, we have to take into account that Russia has had a very long time to prepare. Uh, already since 2014, they were anticipating, because actually they knew what they were going to do and they anticipated how we would respond. So they have been securitizing their economy. They have been preparing their economy for sanctions. So if you have such a long warning time, uh, you can definitely do a lot. We didn't have that warning time because we didn't know what was coming. And then secondly, uh, I think that something that um, should already have become clear, not just for the national authorities in charge of implementation or the uh, economic operators or uh, basically what, what should have become uh, uh, clear already for everyone at these states is that sanctions are not a fire and forget exercise, as Richard Nephew very nicely put it. It's not something that is uh, imposed with a CFSP um, a instrument. Yeah. And then you just wait for the target to come crawling and asking for some sanctions relief. Uh, you need to be monitoring what's going on. You, be, you need to be in, uh, identifying the loopholes, legislating a new, yeah. uh, identifying humanitarian consequences, expanding or reformulating the, the carve-outs. Um, you have to be uh, looking not only at economic um, uh, effects, but also at, at public opinion uh, effects, how the elite is positioning itself in terms of withdrawing their support or intensifying their support. So there are so many things to to pay attention to that, I mean, we, we shouldn't just be thinking of sanctions as something that is imposed at some states and then we can move on to something differently, but something that, if we want to make it work, requires a lot of effort. Thank you very much. That I think is a very important point, that this is really a comprehensive policy you need. It's not something, an ad hoc instrument somewhere. It's part of a strategy. I think this was the point you made also about the, the time it will take to get away from that eventually. Yeah, and I mean, it's, 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 it's part of a three-pronged support for, for, for Ukraine. I mean, there's the military assistance, which is very important. There is the macro-financial assistance, the humanitarian assistance, the assistance to refugees, and then there is the sanctions policy. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think we can never underestimate the seriousness of the situation in which we find ourselves. You and I have been around the EU circuit for a long time, Jim, longer than either of us might like to remember. I don't think either of us ever believed we would be in a situation of great power war on this continent again. And that's where we are. And it's it's an unprecedented situation. It requires an unprecedented response. And comprehensive sanctions against Russia are a very important part of that. It comes at a certain cost to us. But frankly, we're Europeans. This is a European war. We can look to other allies. But at the end of the day, it's our responsibility to deal with our continent. And this is a very important means of really putting pressure and sending a message to Russia that this is unacceptable and we will not stand for it. Thank you very much to both of you for a sort of very open exchange, very clear words, and also 
a strong will to make it work, uh, both in the academic world and the practitioner's world. So with this, uh, we are ending uh, today's Europe chat. I hope you enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of food for thought in what was said. We could have gone on for a long time, but I think already those uh, 30 minutes uh, should give you an idea of the complexity, but also the importance of this issue. So uh, I really would like to thank our speakers. And uh, of course, our series of Eurochaps will continue next year with many fascinating subjects on the many, many challenges the EU faces today. Thank you very much and bye-bye. This podcast is co-funded by the European Union. The views and opinions expressed are, however, those of the authors only and do not necessarily reflect those of the European Union or the European Education and Culture Executive Agency. Neither the European Union nor the granting authority can be held responsible for them.